is there anything more important than your brand, than your personal brand, than the brand of your company? Brand takes a long time to create. The good news about today's environment is that we can reach people very quickly. We have many different mediums and platforms to connect with our customers, with our communities. LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and an instant things are out there. And while that's great and incredible to build a brand and really to build a brand quickly, it can also be very dangerous when something goes wrong or when something has perceived to go wrong. This is a challenge that 21st century leaders face. Today, crisis ready expert Melissa Agnes is going to teach us how to be crisis ready, how to increase trust and credibility in our brand, and how to make it invincible. Let's get after it. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals, organizations, and communities rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langlois. Today, I'm joined by Melissa Agnes. We're going to be discussing something that's important to every organization, large and small. It's how to be crisis ready how, and how to build an invincible brand in an uncertain world. Melissa is the founder and CEO of the Crisis Ready Institute. She is recognized as a leading authority on crisis preparedness, reputation management, and brand protection. She's the creator of Crisis Ready, the Crisis Ready model, and the author of Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World. She's a coveted speaker, commentator, advisor of some of today's leading organizations that uh, face some of the greatest risks. She's proud to sit on the Police Professional Standards Ethics an image committee for the Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police, something that's very dear to my heart. And she's a member of the Global Advisor Council for the Institute of Strategic Risk Management. In 2015, she gave a TEDx talk in Los Angeles where she discussed the secret to successful crisis management in the 21st century. She's also the editor of the Crisis Ready blog, the host of the Invincible Brand podcast, and a contributor to Forbes. I've watched the TEDx video Go just search it on YouTube, watch it. It's absolutely phenomenal. You're going to be blown away by this conversation. Melissa, welcome to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Thank you for having me and thank you for all those kind words. Yeah, well, you're, you're absolutely amazing. I've been looking forward to this. Melissa is so gracious. We've had to cancel a few times. Um, we've had COVID, influenza running through the family. Uh, our listeners and our, and our followers, might, you know, my voice is a little bit different. I'm coming out of it, but, but we really appreciate you hanging in there with us and being willing to come on the show. I'm glad you're, you're all okay, you and your family. Yeah, thank you so much. So, Melissa, I'm so interested in hearing your story and what's, what made you so passionate and drew you to, to crisis readiness, crisis management. I have two parts to the story is what I'm realizing. The first is, and I'll, I'll try to be super high level, but um, I started in this profession like 12 years ago, something like that, way over a decade. And back then crisis management was a thing that I wasn't aware of, but crisis management adapted to the way that the world was changing was not a thing. And so I've been an entrepreneur since I was 21. So back then I was, I had a small business where we did web strategies. So launching websites and right at the time where brands were really starting to get on the social media bandwagon. So it was all social media, rah, rah, rah. Um, and I remember, I remember I've had, I think maybe two light bulb moments in my life maybe a little bit more, but two like massive ones. The first one 
was one morning back then when I was doing my morning reading and it hit me that why is nobody talking about the risks, the risk of not just social media, but the real-time news cycle and um, technology and digital and just the, the new ways of the world. Everybody was really talking about how great it is, but nobody was talking about what are the new risks that it presents and not in a bad way because then my brain went to, I can see all of the risks or I can see many of the risks, but then I can quickly see how to resolve them or how to mitigate them. And then the opportunity in my mind became exponential and unprecedented. So for example, right around this time, maybe a couple years later, um, was the Ebola crisis in West Africa and it started to spread. It was starting to spread through like to different locations around the world. And there were so many NGOs and government organizations and, um, just a nonprofits trying to solve this Ebola crisis within West Africa. And it was the BBC that came up with a strategy that they were going to, it's in my book that they were going to, uh, put on a trial period for a period of six months. And what they did was they realized that West Africans use WhatsApp like all day, every day to communicate with their loved ones. So their idea was, well, why don't we use WhatsApp? If Ebola is spreading because there's a lack of awareness and education around what Ebola is and how to contract it, then why don't we use this technology that they're already on, meet them on their turf and provide them with information. And it was phenomenal. And there's more to the story. I actually have an hour long um, podcast where I sat down with the, 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 uh, the person who thought of this um, the editor of BBC at the time who did this um, and it's in the book. But so just to show you that like the, my brain went to, there's so much risk, but then if we can overcome the risk, there's so much opportunity that's unprecedented. And that lit something in me that it fueled for the next year. That's when I discovered that crisis management was a thing. I didn't know prior to that moment that it was. And I, so I read everything. I devoured everything that I could on the subject for the next year, just because it fascinated me so much. And it also frustrated me because nobody, all of the books, nobody was talking about technology, two-way communication, um, real-time communication, you know, social media. Nobody was talking about these things. The advice that was still being put out there was like, don't say anything, mm -hmm. right? If a camera is shoved in your face or if a phone camera is shoved in your face, like say no comment. And it was really, really frustrating to me. So, and I remember turning to my business partner at the time and saying, there's something here. I just don't exactly know what it is yet, but there is something here. And then serendipitously, maybe, um, we had just launched the website of one of our clients, which was a real estate investment trust. So a public company, whose primary stakeholders are their investors because they invested in, in real estate. And the VP called me really early one morning saying that their president was in the car with a massive prospective investor, like somebody they did not want to lose. They wanted to bring on board. The media on the radio in that car was reporting that one of their buildings was about to explode due to all kinds of circumstances that were their fault and um, allegedly their fault. And apparently, obviously this was a rumor, but apparently the rumor started on Twitter, but they didn't know what Twitter was, but because they heard that it was a digital thing and we had just launched their website, they were hoping that we could help. So serendipitously, just ironically, they called me in a moment where they really, really needed support. And this was like my area of fascination. Within a half an hour, super long story short, within a half an hour, we had the media correcting themselves. We had, you know, investors getting the right information. We had everything fixed to the point that the next day, the president of the company called to say, not only had 
their unit price, which is their stock price, not only had it not gone down since the day before, but it had actually gone up a cent due to their response. And that was my, oh my goodness, I can serve. Like, this is something that's important that I can do. And so we pivoted and I launched a blog because I didn't know how else I had no network. I had no It was brand new. Nobody was talking about this stuff. So I decided, you know what? I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of concerns. I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of questions. I'm going to launch a blog and I'm going to blog five days a week and let's see where that goes. And I did. Mine was the first blog in the world to talk about the issues that I was talking about. And I created a space where we came up with solutions together as a community. Um, I was challenged a lot by people in the field that weren't ready for the change Um, and I also, at the same time, got some really great mentors who came to me and said, like, we've been in this for 30 some odd years. We're close to retirement. We don't know if this whole digital thing is a fad or a trend. Um, but we do know that our clients need everything you're talking about. So can we partner? And they became mentors to me who opened up their client list and allowed me to, you know, I grew from there. So that's the first kind of aha moment that led to, I suppose, my life (laughs) in this, in this trajectory. Yeah. Well, truly, really, really uncovered, you know, one of your passions, yeah. something that's a purpose it, 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 during these moments in your life and continuing as that evolves, you know, it's really phenomenal how unprepared so many organizations are. I don't know, you, you, because you're involved with the International Association of Chiefs of Police, you might recognize the name Gordon Graham, um, but he's a top, you know, risk management leadership expert. And one of the things he says is if it's predictable, it's preventable. And he talks about oftentimes there's a crisis or a problem and people look at the event right before the problem and they try to fix that. But that's a bandaid because there's all these problems lying in wait that if you address those issues, the event before the major problem never happens. And so as you talk about this, I think about those things and you know, whether you're, like I said, in policing or healthcare or a real estate company or, or whatever the profession is, we know what the greatest risks are. We should be proactive at identifying those. That's something I think you're going to talk about. Uh, and so we can mitigate those and know, know how to respond because there are some things that are beyond our control. Like in policing, you know, officer involved shooting situation, right? That you think about Ferguson. You know, and how the, the instead of getting out, shaping, creating and telling the story as it happened, they let that story be shaped and create as it didn't happen. And as mm-hmm. a result, we see the, the fallout from that. So I'll be interested to get your perspective on some of those. Well. So it, I think you've kind of talked about what it means to be crisis ready. But how do you become crisis ready? Could you take a little deeper dive, though? And like, what's it yeah. mean to be crisis ready? So one of the things that is that I've learned since the publication of my book, which was March 20th, 2018. So since then, um, which led to my second kind of aha moment, which led to the creation of Crisis Ready Institute. um, One of the things that I've learned is that because I didn't come up traditionally, like I didn't go to school for this. I just did it the way that it makes sense to me. And it was very successful. What I did was very um, good. (laughs) It had good impact. Um, I didn't realize that it was so different from the majority of professionals, consultants, agencies out there doing this type of thing. And so that's where crisis ready comes from. Crisis ready is a term that I coined a while back, many years ago, that I never imagined would become its own brand. Um, But I, I coined it because crisis preparedness is the typical lingo, is the typical terminology in the industry. We need to be crisis prepared. We're gonna invest in our crisis preparedness. And what that means 
um, which is currently still the status quo. What that means, gen, uh, generally speaking, is you hire a consultant, you hire a firm to come in to create a crisis management plan for you. They give you that plan. You put that plan on a shelf. Leadership somehow feels solace in thinking that or reassurance in thinking that, hey, if we ever have a crisis, we've got this plan and this plan is going gonna, is gonna to guide us through to success. <laughs> That is crisis preparedness. That is typical crisis preparedness. That is what people think of when they think of crisis preparedness. And that has never been the, the approach that I take because that doesn't do anything to serve you when you need it most. Because if you don't know what that plan is, and if your team doesn't even know that that plan exists, never mind what the rules and responsibilities and how all the pieces fit together, how are you going to respond to something in real time when time is right? We, um, the Crisis Ready Institute, in my book, I came up with a term that's uh, crisis response penalty. So the longer you take to effectively respond to an incident in both action and communication, the more trust you're going to lose with those who matter most to your brand, the more control to your point, and I don't like the con word control, but to the more ownership of the narrative you're going to lose to your point when you mentioned Ferguson and different examples, um, and the more material consequences you're going to suffer. So how can you suffer the least amount of crisis response penalty if you don't know what's in that plan, right? So my approach, crisis ready, has always been different. It's always been, how do we work with organizations to embed, to ingrain a what we call a crisis ready culture? A crisis ready culture means that every single member of the team, whether you have a team of 10, whether you have a team of 10,000 and everything in between, you have a culture of within your organization and your organization can be in any industry and to any size, um, where every single member of the team is empowered and trained with the right mindset. So when you're looking at mindset, you're looking at a mindset that instinctively goes to challenge equals opportunity, not challenge equals anything bad or like, let's avoid it. Let's hide from it. Let's all of these negative things that increase the crisis response penalty. Right. Um, so mindset of challenge equals opportunity and everything that comes from that as uh, so a mindset skill set. If something happens, you want your team to not go, where's the plan? You want them to go, I know what I have to do. I'll, I'll make sure that plan, you know, I'll get the plan when I need it and I'll double check my checklist and it'll be my safety blanket, but I know what to do when I have the skills and I feel confident and competent in those skills. And then thirdly, so mindset, skill set, and then thirdly is capability. Capability is making sure that you have the processes in place, the procedures in place within your organization so that those mindset, that mindset and those skill sets can actually go into practice and not be bottlenecked and not be hindered. So the capability is about making sure people have the means um, to, to take the action they need to take. Yeah, it's making sure you have, you know, cross collaboration capabilities through. So, for example, just looking at communication, communication is a massive part of success, effective communication is a massive part of successful crisis management. So if communication is also scary and vulnerable and intimidating and like all of the, and, uh, and complicated, right? How do you speak with emotional intelligence or communicate with emotional intelligence when you can't overcome emotion with logic, which is one of the crisis ready rules, but at the same time, you're in an emotional state yourself. So is your team. And so are your stakeholders because you're in crisis. So communication is really hefty. It's really, um, there's a lot that goes into it. So how do you make sure from it? So you want the skill set to be able to do that, but you also want to make sure that you have the capabilities, the structure set up within your organization that 
enables real-time flow of if you need a subject matter expert on your team to give the communication team the information, the actual facts that they need for their communication drafting to make sure that the right people are putting their eyes on it and that there's no bottleneck when it comes to approval processes, right? So all of these mechanisms, how do you then take those communications and disseminate them internally and then communicate them externally? So it's the process to make it work that enables you to then effectively um, execute with your skill set. Excellent. Perfect. I really appreciate you taking that deep dive, the difference between crisis preparedness and crisis ready. Such a, such a big difference there. Having the right mindset, skill set, capability. You put a huge smile on my face. You said, you know, challenge equals opportunity. One of the things we talk about all the time is, you know, challenge equals opportunity. And the greater the challenge, the greater the opportunity. You know, when we face these situations, that's where true growth happens and prepares us for what's down the road. Uh, So, so really excited about the way you broke those two down. And there's such a difference. And I would, I would guess, I would bet that more than 95% of organizations are not crisis ready. It's very that- frustrating. That's why the Institute exists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, so it, it is now a good time to transition and talk about the crisis ready model and talk sure. about what that model and framework is, and then maybe take a dive into some of that. Absolutely. I have my book here. Excellent. Cause I know you're going to potentially release this video. So I want to show it. Oh, oh awesome. Um, so the model came about when I was writing the book, there's a lot that goes into ingraining a crisis ready culture, right? Like that's no easy feat. It's not impossible. It's nowhere near impossible, but there's a lot that goes into it. So when I was writing the book, um, one people asked me why I wrote the book because every book on the subject matter put me to sleep. And I am somebody that is never bored by this topic. And yet I couldn't get through the books. And so if I couldn't get through the books, what's happening to the people who need to read them, right? Mm -hmm. Who are mandated to read them or becomes with their job description, et cetera. Um, So I wanted to create an experience that was interesting and fun and light to the most extent possible. Like there's an interlude in this book, which is so random because at one point I was just like, close it. And I was like, people need a break. Like I've done a really good job at making, there's games in the book. There's like making it fun and entertaining, entertaining and inspiring and motivating and action and also actionable. But then at some point I was like, people need a break. So I like put in an interlude. Right. So when I was creating the experience of the book, I was also trying to figure out how do you take crisis ready and crisis management are both the way that I see them in a terrible I'm terrible at analogies, (laughs) terrible, terrible analogies. I think maybe this is the only good one that I've ever come up with is it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle. There's pieces everywhere. Maybe the jigsaw puzzle is like scattered in the wind in a forest somewhere. So what you're doing is you're trying to figure out and pick up all of the pieces and then put them together. So that's going into your crisis readiness, your crisis ready culture, as well as crisis management. Crisis happens is an unprecedented, it's supposed to be an unprecedented event where you don't have all of the answers, right? So you're still trying to accumulate those answers and put them all, put the pieces all together. So how do you do that with a brain that just kind of sees it? How do I put that into a book that's a linear process that somebody else can read and absorb and not feel overwhelmed, hopefully? That's where the crisis ready model came up. Uh, and I hired a very brilliant um, contextual model expert uh, named uh, Neen James, who helped with this. So the model is five stages, and it's how to get from wherever you currently are on the spectrum of crisis ready. Doesn't ma- so it doesn't matter if you think, my clients who have been with me for years are 
so crisis ready. I'm so proud of them. And every year we go through this process again. Every year we sit down and say, okay, here's where you are. Here's where you still want to be because times change, people evolve, society changes, risks differ and change and evolve and all of these things, as well as within the organization, right? You might have turnover, you might have these, you might have new direction in one year to another. Um, so there's always this initial, the initial phase is audit. So where do you sit on the spectrum of crisis ready? And that's, you're evaluating here, you're looking at what is the mindset of the organization and what, and what is our culture? And then what, um, where are our gaps, right? Where are our strengths and where are our gaps? A lot goes into that. And I'm going to, I'll give kind of an overview and then you can, Danny, you can tell me where you, where you're interested to dive in deeper if you are. Sounds good. Um, so audit. So now you have an audit. The second piece is understand. So with the audit, you create kind of like this blueprint, right? And then from there you have this snapshot and you want to bring understanding and buy-in and support throughout the organization. And that, in my experience, is one of the most challenging things that never ceases to be a challenge, no matter what. You always, there's tends to always be somebody on a team, in an organization that doesn't fully understand the value entirely. And you really want that buy-in and support from every leader across the organization. So this is where you're really, depending on where you sit on that spectrum, if you're coming in, it's your 10th year of really going through this process and strengthening your crisis readiness. Of course, that's different from an organization that's bringing somebody like me in for the first time and saying, we need to do this. Can you help me get leadership's buy-in and support here? Right? So you want to really educate here. You want to educate leadership and different members of the team to understand the value of what you are investing in within your crisis ready culture. And it's not just, this is one of the things I've learned. It's not how it's literally, it's how do you sell crisis ready without using the word crisis? And that is a very challenging because people don't want to talk about crisis, especially today where everybody's tired of COVID. Everybody's ready for new and happy and breathing easier. Um, and so, and even before COVID, this was always a challenge. So how do you sell crisis without using crisis? So how do you sell and dip? help people understand the value of what you are investing in from a day-to-day -day operational relationship, cultural standpoint, not just in crisis prevention or crisis management mode, if that makes sense. So we've got audit, we've got understand, then we've got identify. Now you're really getting into the work. So here you're going to identify your high risk. You mentioned earlier, Danny, that everybody has high risk scenarios, right? There are a series, there's a set of high risk scenarios that are the most likely high impact events that we are all vulnerable to. And they're different from company to company, just like they're different from human to human, right? So an, a crisis for one organization does not necessarily mean it's a crisis for another organization. If we look at COVID, COVID is a crisis. COVID is a global crisis. The lack of effective early crisis management to COVID created the monstrosity that it is. Um, but if you look at like Zoom, which is the platform, the technology that we're using right now in this moment, when COVID hit, Zoom may have. Uh, when COVID hit, COVID may have been a crisis for Zoom and for its people in some ways. But from a business perspective, it was an opportunity. Right now, the whole world needed to go digital and needed to have these remote meetings, and Zoom was there to go our technology. Right. So a crisis for one does not necessarily 
equate to a crisis for another, and it can be different. A crisis for one can be a different scale of crisis for another. So understanding what crisis means to your organization, one of the things that Crisis Ready does is defines issue versus crisis and really, really defines the thresholds of what brings an issue to crisis level and what brings the crisis de-escalates it down to issue level and then down to non-issue level. So having a clear understanding of that, having a clear understanding of your values is really important for crisis management um, and issue management. It's uh, having a very clear understanding of your stakeholders, the people who matter most to your business without whom your business would cease to operate successfully to be successful, right? And so crisis management, one of the crisis ready rules is um, people, above, uh, people above process and bottom line always. And that's because successful business is built on relationships. So crisis management in its essence is about those relationships. It's about doing right by the people you serve that you exist to serve as an organization when you're put to the test and when it matters most. So understanding everything that you can about each one of those stakeholder groups, what they expect of you in a crisis, what they expect of you outside of crisis, what the relationship is, how they're emotionally tied to the brand, where your values align, where they don't, um, what, you know, where they go. Like, for example, going back to the Ebola incident or crisis and the Ebola uh, example that I gave you in order to know who you're speaking to and to even know that they're on WhatsApp, you need or to know that they're on WhatsApp to find that opportunity, you need to know about the people you're trying to speak to, right? So stakeholder mapping is really important. So that identify phase is really understanding. You do a deep dive and the book takes you through the questions that I ask and when I go into a company. Um, so to really do a deep dive to understand all of the variables, all of the impacts, all of the uh, components, that all of those puzzle pieces, this is where you're trying to identify all of the different puzzle pieces so that then you can put it together. And then that's the next phase is the design phase. And that's where you're putting it together. So here's where you're going to do everything from designing your governance structure, your crisis ready governance structure to putting in those capabilities, right? That we talked about earlier. And as well as while you can't plan for everything, you can be ready for everything. And while you don't want to rely on a plan, planning is essential. So this is where those that piece, that mindset comes into play. So you're going to put together your structure. You're going to put together your action plans. You're going to put together your communication strategies for the events, the high-risk scenario events that you've already identified. Because again, they're the most likely types of incidents to occur. And when I say you can't plan for everything, but you can be ready for anything, you might identify 10 high-risk scenarios and do a deep dive into those 10 high-risk scenarios and be super ready for them and train your team and do everything you need to do. And then an 11th, an 11th scenario comes and blindsides you. If you've done, gone through this process for all of those 10 scenarios, that 11th scenario, it doesn't matter that you didn't identify it before because you are so ready. You have the mindset, you have the skill set, you have the capability. So that's where your design. And then we get to the fifth phase, which is the implement phase. And that's really where you're taking everything and you are ingraining it into your culture. You're making your crisis readiness a living, breathing component to your business, to your company and with your people, um, your company organization, because I work with government as well. And that's where then it becomes cyclical. So this is that same crisis ready model at the end of the book that now becomes, it's not a, a pyramid that gets to a pinnacle. Once you get to that pinnacle, now you have the makings, the foundation for your crisis ready 
culture. But in order to remain crisis ready, you want to take this process on a regular basis. Um, and there's so much, you know, ways to do that. But um, really then that implement phase is bringing it to your team, empowering them with the right mindset, training their skill set, testing the capabilities. I never say testing people, you're honing skills with people and you're testing capabilities um, because it can be scary and intimidating to feel like you're being tested as a human right for crisis ready is such a big thing. I will stop talking. I feel like I just gave so much and people are probably just wanting me to no. stop and pause so you can absorb. No, it's awesome. I mean, honestly, like people that, that will see this on YouTube, um, it probably won't be launched on YouTube yet when it releases, we'll be in the, the audio format, but you know, all 65 and counting episodes will be there soon. Um, Melissa was sharing and, and showing some examples and some diagrams in the book. And so what we'll do is we'll get some PDFs or images of those and then we'll link them. You go to dannylangloss.com. We've got a blog that'll be live when this podcast releases and you'll be able to go link directly to the book, link to, to a couple of these images. Um, and there's other things I'm sure she'll talk about that, that there'll be some links for. So you have some tools so you can begin to understand this. I mean, crisis is only something to be afraid of if you're not crisis ready. And, you know, crisis comes in a bunch of different ways. And one thing I'd like the listeners to do, maybe at pause in this moment, and, and say, what are our greatest risks? And kind of write them down. I mean, they might be low frequency, but we got to understand what those greatest risks are. And we got to work through those things. Take some action right now. We're going to walk through some of these stages, but think about how you can hit the pause button while you're listening and write some things down. Because I've been in crisis management for 25 years. And as Melissa knows, because she's watching me, I've been taking a ton of notes uh, on the things she's saying because it is, it is high level. It's, it's phenomenal. So the couple areas, Melissa, no, thank you. This is, this is amazing. So we got audit, understand, identify, design, implement. So uh, I want to dive into the understanding part because when you're going to create a crisis ready culture, when you're going to change any culture, right? Getting that buy-in as you talked about that is so important. is so difficult. Right. And you talked about people don't understand the value. We have to educate them. What are some strategies you use in the understand, you know, portion of this model to create that buy-in? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I do a few different things. And actually, I, I give some great examples and my things that have been proven successful for me um, throughout my career. Um, I'm a keynote speaker. So one of the ways is being hired to come in, and this isn't a sales pitch. And so anybody who's listening to this, who is a consultant, um, this is not a sales pitch. Not, I'm saying not me, but when you go in and do this for your, a client or a prospective client, it's not, you're not going in as a sales pitch. You're going in as an, from an educational standpoint. How do we, same thing as when you hire me to be on stage, right? You hire me to be on stage. I'm going to, I'm going to bring some things to light. I'm going to hopefully create some awareness and some aha moments that allow you to then think more and decide for yourself whether you want to move forward. Um, so one of the ways is uh, because I'm so prevalent online, so or just kind of everywhere, um, if you search crisis, right, crisis ready, crisis management, crisis preparedness, crisis communication, you're going to find me. You're going to find podcasts and articles and quotes in the media and um, videos and all of these different things. So my TEDx talk. So typically for me, because of that, people call me when they say, we know we need this. And oftentimes that's followed by 
I need your help to get leadership to know that we need this. So one of the ways is to go in and do a keynote. And that's really just that educational component. There is no sales pitch at the end of it. It's really just, I always used to say, I don't say it anymore, but I used to say as an entrepreneur, I'm a terrible salesperson, but that's simply because I never, I'm never going to convince you, you need something. Either we align and you get it, and then we want to work together. Or if I have to convince you, I'm going to have to convince you every step of the way. And that is not fun for me. I'm going to take my energy and put it elsewhere. So that's, that's one of the ways. The other way, another fun way that works is when you have a leadership team that says, we don't need this. We're already there. Then jump straight to the implement phase and do an exercise, put them through. And I'm not talking about a tabletop exercise. I'm talking about a simulation. So the difference between a tabletop and a simulation, a tabletop is you're going to hire somebody to come in and to say, everybody's going to, your leadership team is going to be sitting around a table and that instructor um, conductor of the exercise, it's going to say, you know, this happened at X time on X on Y date, what would you do? And everybody's going to have a discussion about, well, we would do this and we would do that. And maybe we would do this. And it's very conversational. It's very theoretical. It's a great place to start. But if you are trying to gain that buy-in and support, that's not going to do it. The difference between that and a simulation, a simulation is gives the opportunity to actually test the processes, the capabilities and hone the skill set. So instead of somebody coming in saying, this happened, what would you do? They're being presented, the team is being presented with, uh-oh, we see that this is happening. What do we do? Not would we do, but what do we need to do? And you get up and you do it. So you were literally, that's why I say you jump to the implement phase. You were literally, if you're sitting down or you're uh, confronted with, or you're challenged with a leadership team that says, we're already crisis ready jump to the implement phase and say, okay, let's test our crisis readiness. And from that, always there's uh, chapter nine is all about conducting a simulation. Um, so you're always like very focused on the objective, the goals, you don't want to test everything. You want to have a very clear focus, et cetera. So at the end of that, I've never come out of a simulation, knock on wood, that some, that people didn't go, oh my goodness, we need to be stronger. And it's not, oh my goodness, we suck or we're terrible or we're, it's just, we need to be stronger. And that's where you set it up for success. You set it up so that they see where they need to be stronger and they're encouraged and inspired and motivated to be stronger rather than feeling like they failed and now they're overwhelmed and they're depleted. So those are two techniques that I use. You know, that's so important. I've been involved in a national police organization that really has a focus on addiction, people suffering from substance use disorder and changing the narrative. We can't arrest our way out of this problem. And, you know, police organizations who have been trained to arrest, 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 have a hard time with this. And so there, I, I share this just because there's so much power of, of hiring somebody to come in. If you're facing resistance, if people aren't ready and to really share the why and to really move people from darkness to light. I remember going to Macomb County, Michigan, there were 27 police executives, you know, half of them were for the program, half of them were against. By the time we got done presenting, they were all for it's the largest police deflection program in the country. They've helped over 10,000 people. And so we can't, we can't push away the need to do that. We've got to embrace it. It's important because when we say crisis ready, you know, as we talked about earlier, it's really about our brand. It's about what do people think about this when they, when they hear our name, not individually, now as a company, how do they trust us? How do they respect us? How does that impact our purpose and what we're trying to create within the organization? A couple of things to leaders as we implement anything news to think about these couple of things. One is 
people support what they create, period. They support what they create. So if you're taking something that's new or something you want to implement or something you want to shift, get people involved, get them involved across all levels of the organization. The next thing, start with why. And the one thing that Melissa and somebody coming in can do so phenomenally is bring to life this picture that at times maybe we're not capable of doing. And when we start with why, there's a focus in there. What's in it for them? How's it aligned to their purpose? Why it is important to them? And that's an incredible foundation to build on and move forward as we work through the organization. So I just wanted to add those, those couple of things um, because the, the time the, the, the time to prepare and build these relationships and trust and these companies and skill sets and mindsets isn't when crisis hits. It's too late. It's too late, right? Yeah. We, we got to do that proactively. And we've seen a lot of the impacts from COVID. I think everybody can relate to that. Anything you want to add to that before, um, before we to step your, into the next thing? Yeah, absolutely. To your, it's too late. Um, when a crisis happens, it's too late comment. That comes in and you can use the crisis response penalty as an example there. And when I'm on stage and, and teaching and different things, the crisis response penalty is if you're, I'm hoping I'm going to do this right the right way for audience members. So let's say you're law enforcement. So you got left a bang, you got right a bang, you got bang, right? Let's say bang happens or crisis happens. Crisis happens. And it, if it's a crisis, it's going to have bare consequence, right? That is crisis. That is the nature of crisis. It's unprecedented. Hopefully it's sometimes predictable, sometimes unpredictable. There's unknown variables that you don't have all of the answers in the heat of the moment. Like when it happens, you have to go and discover that you have to put together strategy. You have to figure out how you're going to, what actions and communication you're going to put into effect. Um, and it bears consequence, material consequence. Now that circumstance happens, the longer you take to effectively manage that crisis, respond to that crisis. So again, actions and communications, actions to actually manage the incident, fix the incident, whatever it is, communication with every stakeholder and group that, uh, yeah, group who needs to be communicated with for whatever reason, the longer you take to do that, the more consequences you will suffer. And that is what the crisis response penalty is. And when you are crisis ready, your, and the crisis response penalty, I mean, we can go through example after example of that can mean a dip in stock price and that dip, you know, or a dip in um, brand equity and trust equity and for your brand. And those things have material consequences over the long term, right? So we, it could also lead to um, talking about leadership's buy-in and support. Another way to look at this is leadership is accountable, there's members of the team who are responsible for crisis management and aspects of crisis management. Leadership is accountable. And there's numerous cases and, and um, examples where leadership are charged with felonies because of their irresponsible crisis management or lack thereof, right? So the consequences can be dire. And all of those are the crisis response penalty. So when you're crisis ready, when you have the mindset, the skill set, and the capabilities so the instincts and everything you need as a team, as a collective to work in unison, to work together in unity, I should say, um, you lessen that timeline for crisis response penalty. And the goal is to be crisis so ready so that when something happens, either you know it here and you prevent it from happening, or the second it happens, you are able as a team to, to effectively manage it so that you suffer zero additional consequences and you minimize the material impacts of the crisis in the first place. Brilliant. 
Absolutely it's, love it. It's one way to paint a picture to people who are a little bit less convinced. Well, and what I love is the way you put your words together. You paint a picture for those listening, you know, and those watching, you're able to use your hands and show the different things, but those listening can really see that come to life. You're a very gifted speaker. The way you put your words together thank you. really brings that to life. No, thank you. It's so important in this, in this format. Um, you said under the design, you can't plan for everything, but you can be ready for everything. And so just want to make an observation. One of the things we teach in leadership, right, is to be very solid and grounded in our values because we can't, in, in every situation as leaders, we can't write a book that tells you what to do in every situation. But when we're grounded in our values, if we're grounded in values of service and empathy and teamwork and communication and justice and diversity and excellence, as to share a couple of them, when we face these situations, right, we're ready because we're acting within our values. And as I yeah. hear you talk about the importance of values, and it might have been in the design phase, um, the importance of values is so important. And when you say you can't plan for everything, but you can be ready for everything, is that a big component of that? Um, or is there a different dive there? No, I, I think it, it just goes back to mindset and skill set. And it's how resilient are you as an organization and as a human? How resilient are you? That's the thing that I love about what I do is it's not just about, it's never just about saving bottom line. Like I love it when people, when I get off on get off stage and people walk up to me and say, I could apply this to myself as a human in my personal life, like not just my business. I'm like, yes. I created a business. I created a model around the way that I see the world. So obviously this is my lens of the world and it's what I put into practice every day of my life, um, in my personal life. And then with my clients. So one of, I don't know where I was going, but one of the things that, so the mindset piece is you're creating resilience for your organization. You're creating resilience for your people. I mean, look at how burnt out everybody is. One of the crises within the crisis of COVID is burnout. And especially like this time last year uh, and a little bit before, right. Is just emotional and mental exhaustion. How do you create, how do you help your, how do you empower, inspire and your team to be more resilient humans, right? So that they're stronger, they're more adaptable and flexible and easy to handle these things. And then as a collective from a skill set, mindset, capability standpoint, you're building resiliency into your organization so that you can have longevity no matter what hits you. Does that answer your question? It does. No, it does. Absolutely. You talk about that resiliency and building that resiliency in people. And, and you're right. I mean, people are worn out. They're wore down. You know, you look at so many different things. You and I could talk all day about this I and mean, we could have like our discussions about a lot of these things. Um, so no, I think you, I think you nailed it right there. So one of the things I want to finish up with is implementation. And obviously, you know, to our listeners, there's so much more than this. I mean, you know, she can bring to life a good amount of it in an hour, hour and 15 minute keynote, but it's nothing compared to the deep dive and the book and all the resources and the blog. There's so many different aspects. I do want to encourage people. And, and I know that you know, Melissa talked about this, even as people use this in their own personal lives, we're not talking about like an you know, in policing, an active shooter incident. We're not even necessarily talking about in a hospital setting, a, a breach of information, patient information. It doesn't have to be huge, but what are things that come about that we have to manage to manage our band brand, to keep our trust, to keep that trust level high, the respect high. So when people say the name of the company, 
right? They're, they're more drawn to that and protecting it. So think about this a little more broadly. So one of the things when you talk about implementation, so we're ingraining into the culture um, and, and the crisis ready model becomes a cycle and you have different people at different levels that are able to, who have been trained, who have the skill set, who have the competencies, and they're going to release the response to that initial thing. So I go back to the Twitter and the company, um, and we just don't, like, how do you prepare many people across your organization to be ready to put out that two-sentence tweet or, or to not. Facebook? But yeah, right? Like, how right. do you prepare? Because you're giving away a lot when you do that. So how do you... How do you look at that? And I'm there's just interested a, in your take on it. Yeah. And there's, I mean, obviously what I'm going to say is super high level and like, there's a lot more context, a lot more. So please nobody take it at face value. Know that there's so much below the surface here, but there's a couple things. And you go back to the education component, the understanding. Um, when you look at it at the Christ ready model as a secular component to your culture, then your that question needs to come up. Once you have the buy-in and support from leadership and you've gone through the motions and now you have this you know, foundation for your crisis ready culture. Now you want to go to your team and make sure teams and make sure one of the things that I see often is people make mistakes with the right intentions, with the best of intentions. They want to support. There's not many people, especially during, you know, after this great resignation, there's not many people who hate the place that they work, <laughs> where they want to see it fail, right? They want to see it go down in flames. That's not usually the case. Maybe it's a very few exceptions. Um, so with the best of intentions, they can make dire mistakes that have massive consequence. So educate them, teach them what, why you want them to communicate, why you want them not to communicate in certain cases, the why, to your point earlier, Danny, the why behind things are so important. So that's one of the ways. And that's really, that's goes beyond your communication team. That's really for, you know, everybody. If, if your, if your organization goes through some kind of like massive issue or crazy crisis or just crisis, you're going to have your, all of your team and all of their loved ones are going to care are going right. And so there's a, there's an opportunity for communication across that board. You want to make sure that there it's unanimous. You want to make sure that the tone, that the messaging is clear and consistent across the board. And you also want to make sure again, that people aren't making mistakes with the best intentions. Um, so that's that educational component, that training and simulations and all that. And then the other piece goes to your communications team. Um, and that is such so many times my clients, you know, that go through a simulation every year or every 18 months, 12 to 18 months, depending. Um, oftentimes what comes out of that is we're going to do hyper-focus for several years with the comms team where it's quarterly trainings because it's such a skill set. And then leadership has to come into that because like I said earlier, I wasn't, I wasn't joking when I said communi communicating is vulnerable. It to communicate effectively in a crisis feels extremely vulnerable. There's a reason why people want to bury their head in the sand or want to say no comment, never say it, because no comment is a massive comment. It's a massive communication. Man. You think it's not, but it, it's saying so much that you don't want to say. There's a reason, though, that people want to do that because it's scary. It's vulnerable. You have the limelight shining on you in a negative way. Maybe you've made a mistake. Maybe you're not sure of yourself because you don't have all of the answers. So learning to stand up and communicate in a way that is human and relatable. And when I say human, 
It means that if you don't have all the answers, you're communicating that you don't have all the answers, but here's what you're doing, or here's what we're doing to get all the answers, right? We know that this is important to you. It's important to us too. Here's what we're doing. And we're going to be back the second that we know more, you will know, right? So teaching your leadership team, your legal team, and your communication department team to be able to, and there's so much that goes into it. I mean, I talked earlier about, um, you can't overcome, you can't beat emotion with logic. Meanwhile, in a crisis, it's very easy to be like, here's all the facts, right? Here's what we're doing. And then nobody listens to that because it's not the facts that they care about. It's what they care about that they care about. And unless you have resonated with them on an emotional level, you're never going to get through that cloud that emotion creates that blocks the logical side of the brain just by the nature of being a human being. So in with Crisis Ready Institute, we have formulas to help you craft your communication so that you are communicating with emotional intelligence and that you are resonating with people on an emotional level before you ask them to follow your leadership, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I'd wrote down is that when we, when we handle crisis and these things happen, it we've got to have a focus on the outside world and the trust and the brand, and the customers we serve, the communities we serve, but we've also got to have an intentional focus on our team because it's their trust in us. It's their respect for us. It's our brand as a leadership. And if you don't handle these things in the right, in the right ways, and if you're not ready, it's not just, you know, your profits and your, your business and your sales and stuff and your stock, it's the people who got you to the high level to begin with as well. It's coming at you from both ways. And so by being ready, I, I think, you know, one of the things you said early on, it really resonated with me and everything I believe in. And said, you said people above process and bottom line people Always. above. And then the idea, and you just reiterate it because I wrote it down as well is you, you, you can't use logic to solve emotion. You have to use emotion. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to put yourself out there. And I love how you said, you know, you, you never say no comment, like ever, like eliminate those two words together from your vocabulary. Just don't ever say them, um, but be transparent, be able to say, we don't have all the information right now. We're working hard to get it. We, we are as upset about this as you are, and we're going to get to the bottom of it, depending on what you're talking about. And when we do, when we get the information, we will share it with you. And you know what you have to do to do that? You have to get past your ego. Oh, absolutely. And the ego is our protective mechanism, right? On so many different levels. And there's a course that I created um, in partnership with Duville University, which is a private university in Buffalo, New York, um, that's available to any professor who wants to integrate it into any, you know, whatever they're teaching. If, if they want to instill, help their students develop crisis leadership skills, that's one, there's this phenomenal course that, that we offer um, through the Institute, but that's a big component of it is what are the five hindrances of crisis ready? So we have um, avoidance, ego, fear, ignorance, and politics and how, and all of those are human, right? All of those are normal. All of those are components to being human and can kick in at different moments in different time, whether we anticipate or realize it, but it's about how do you become self-aware enough so that when your ego, your ego is a thing that is going to drive your success, right? Our ego is a beautiful thing. In crisis ready where ego gets in the way is when it disconnects us 
from our humanity and being able to become relatable and connect on that human level with others. That's where, and ego is a, is a protective mechanism. I don't want to go out there and say, I don't have all the answers because I'm going to look bad. That's your ego talking, right? And that's very natural, but becoming aware of that, <coughs> apologies, becoming aware of that and knowing when it kicks in, which is different from it for every person, right? It's very individual and being able, and I do it all the time, especially as my like team grows and I expand as a leader of my own company, which is completely uncomfortable for me, for most people maybe. Um, but I'll, I'll do an ego check every once in a while when something happens and I'll turn to people that I trust and who know me really well and I go, is this correct? Like, am I thinking the right way or is this my ego talking? And I will try my best to keep that in check, right? So that, and that's just one component of the, of the, hindrances. The hindrances are not in the book. They will be in the second edition of the book. Um, you but, said there yeah. were, there are four or five of them. There are five. So I got avoidance, ego, fear, and politics. What did I miss? Ignorance. 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 Yeah. And that's just, that's where that educational component comes in. Awesome. Awesome. Phase awesome. To understand. So Melissa, as you know, we walk out of, of this episode, you know, first of all, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for rescheduling. Um, you know, as we battle through COVID and influenza A and all that fun stuff, um, so excited to release this. Do you have a call to action or anything else you want to share with our listeners before we head out? I, we've talked a lot about the book. I highly recommend the book um, because I wrote it to be really good. I'm going to cough again. I apologize. Um, because it's actionable, because it takes you into a deep dive. The uh, the Christ Ready Institute this year, 2022 is focusing on supporting consultants who want to strengthen their skill set and scale their business, those who provide crisis ready service to their clients. So if anybody is listening to this who is a consultant or wants to be a consultant in this practice, then I invite you to come over to crisisreadyinstitute.com and, and come check us out and um, send me send me any kind of DM or email or with any questions you might have, and I'm happy to answer. Excellent. You also have... Uh some offerings for mastermind groups or different work groups and stuff you work with. Is that right? So much. Yeah. We do courses all the time. Um, the Christ ready community is available to anybody. You don't have to be a consultant for that. Just any, if you have any interest or role responsibility under the umbrella of crisis ready, which is very vast. Um, the community is a great place to just continue to gain support, um, in different ways and, uh, continue to hone those skill set and, and keep at the top, right. Keep at the forefront of, the times are changing right now. We are in the midst of a transition globally, um, societally. And so keeping ahead is, is very challenging and very important. So the community kind of helps to do that. Awesome. So Melissa Angus has been sharing her crisis ready model. I mean, we we're just skimming the surface, so much great information, so much actionable information, so much for leaders to think about whether you're a frontline supervisor, middle management, executive leadership, you know, whether you're an aspiring leader, because I believe that everyone in the organization is a leader. We've got formal and informal leaders. And many times the informal leaders have more influence than the formal leaders. Um, and, you know, we talk about things like leading up in that. So her model uh, foundation is the audit. Second is understand. Third level is identify. Fourth level is design. Fifth level is implement. And this really becomes a, a circular action after it's done. It's something we have to stay on top of. I love how you, how you, differentiated the difference between crisis preparedness and versus crisis ready. So crisis preparedness, you know, you hire somebody to come in and help you and create these plans. You put them on a shelf and nobody looks at them. Crisis readiness is about creating a crisis ready culture, something that's embedded in the culture from every member 
top to bottom. It has to do with having the right mindset, skill set, capabilities, where you see challenges, opportunity. Again, we talked about the greater the challenge, the greater opportunity. The the story you told about the Ebola and the WhatsApp, uh, and like that's where people were. And we've got to understand where our team is and where our customers, our communities at. And we've got to meet people where they're at. We've got to know where they're at. We got to meet people where they're at. And we got to be proactively building those channels now, not waiting to figure it out when when there's crisis. People above process in the bottom line. Um, you know, we got to do this, the, the right things. Uh, by the people we serve always, um, you know, you talked about the longer it takes, right? You've got that crisis response penalty, the greater the consequences. Um, and I think about, I think about Will Smith's uh, quote, to be ready, you got to stay ready. And in one of those things to be ready, what I want you to do is eliminate the words, no comment from your vocabulary. If you find yourself in this situation, it's all about our team and customers and, and you know, and, and leadership cultures, which is something we talk about a lot are crisis ready. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. So excited to have Melissa Angus here today. There'll be a ton of things in the links in the podcast description, but also on our website, dannylangloss.com and the blog. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Consider giving us a rating or review so we can reach more people organically. And remember, always be committed to excellence.